Hey listeners, I'm Pastor Brian Dwyer, and you're listening to the Pursue God Truth Podcast on a Tuesday. Pastor Ross Anderson joins me for today's topic. And remember, you can find resources to have this conversation with your family, small group, or mentor. Find it all at PursueGod.org. All right, today we are finishing up our Bible Basics series. Well, I should I should probably clarify that, Ross. Today, for the regular listeners on our Truth Podcast, we're finishing up our five-week Bible Basics series. But for those of you listening on the Unveiling Mormonism podcast, we're actually going to add two more lessons to the series because we're going to dive into some pa- Bible passages that, that Mormons uh, misinterpret. And so for the next two weeks on our Unveiling Mormonism podcast— uh, we're going to continue on in the series, but for our Truth Podcast listeners, this is it, week number five. And Ross, today I'm, I'm excited about this because today we're going to talk about basically the story of the New Testament. We've talked about the story of the Old Testament last week. Today we're going to talk about the story of the New Testament. And Ross, I don't think we've ever done this before. We're going to cover all 27 books of the Bible of the New Testament. We're going to hit on all of them, and we're going to try to put it in almost like a like kind of semi chronological order i guess maybe not exactly but at least we're going to we're going to touch on all the books of the new testament to try to answer the question what is the story of the new testament now i think it's important for people to go all the way back to what was it lesson 1 where we talked about the structure of the the bible and the fact that when we you open up the table of contents the you know the the bible is organized not chronologically it's organized really in terms of genre so go back and listen to lesson 1 in the series if you need a refresher on that because we're going to kind of fly through these and uh, and and we're going to jump around a little bit to try to tell the story of the New Testament. And Ross, really, we should start with Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. It's a great place to start. It's the first verse in the New Testament. And it says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. And listeners, if you go to Matthew chapter 1, you'll see that then there's like a, a genealogy. Matthew starts with a genealogy. Of the Old Testament. And what a perfect place to start, Ross, because there is such a connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right. And that's one of the things that Matthew's trying to establish for sure. And so as we pick up from the whole story of the Old Testament, you know, last in the last episode, uh, we learned that in the Old Testament, God made promises uh, to the world, to, to people through a man named Abraham. And part of that promise was that God would save the whole world from sin. That God, through his descendants, with uh, a particular descendant, would save the whole world from, from the effects of sin and how sin alienates people from God. We saw how the story of the Old Testament brings in the fact that, that sin is condemned by God and, and creates uh, um, a rupture of relationship, brings death and trouble in the world. <clears throat> and yet when the Old Testament ended, God had not finished that part of the promise. He had not rescued the world from sin. And that's what where the story picks up in the New Testament. That's what Jesus' coming was all about. He came as part of that fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. Many other promises made in the Old Testament as well. So there's a strong connection between the old and the new. And the coming of Jesus then fulfills really the story of the old. And that's why, that's why we want to read the Old Testament, because it tells us everything God was doing until Jesus came, and it helps us provide a context to really understand everything that Jesus did from the from the story of what had gone wrong in humanity. And that's what the first four books of the New Testament are about. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are called the Gospels. And so that's kind of its own genre. And, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the Synoptic Gospels. So they're basically telling the stories of Jesus, the life of Jesus, from sort of the same perspective. And then John is is a little bit of an outlier. It's still about Jesus, but it's you're going to get a different perspective and some different stories and a different emphasis. All four books are incredible. And what they're doing is they're connecting, like you said, Russ, they're connecting the dots from the Old Testament, the story of the Old Testament, and, and they're showing basically that Jesus is the fulfillment of everything that is promised and talked about, not just from Abraham, but really from the entire Old Testament. So here Jesus is the Messiah and that Jesus is going to come. And basically Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, um, if you read those, it's going to talk about the life and teachings and, and parables and miracles of Jesus. 
but they all end with Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. And that's pretty much how all four gospels end. And Ross, help us with this, because again, this is so central to reading the rest of the New Testament, because the rest of the New Testament is going to talk about the significance of Jesus dying, well, living a perfect life, dying and rising from the dead. And the significance is it's all about saving the people from their sins, not just the Jewish people, but anyone who would put their faith in Jesus. Right. And so this is one reason why the Gospels make so much emphasis on the last days of Jesus' life, the cross, the resurrection, because the way that, or the reason that Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament story, the way that he did that is through his sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, because that's how God rescued from sin. That's the price that was paid from sin. Um, He did a lot of other important things in his life, for sure. But Jesus' most important act was to die in our place on the cross for our sins so that we could be rescued from that effect. So, Ross, let me jump in there and ask a question. Did the Old Testament foresee that? Like, was that what you just said is the way he was going to fulfill these promises and rescue the people from their sins was by dying on the cross. Was that like clear to people by the time Jesus shows up on the scene? Is that what people were expecting, I guess, from the Messiah? Is that what the Jewish people were expecting? Well, there were hints of it. There were suggestions of it in the Old Testament, but that's not what they were expecting. Because I I think we talked about how there would be the Messiah would come as a king who would rule, and the people expected that to, to happen when Jesus came, that he was going to cast off the yoke of Rome, and he was going to rule the people like a king. King David is the precursor of the Messiah, and that Jesus was going to come, and the Messiah was going to come and introduce this golden age of Israel as a nation and its power in the, in the, in the ancient world and so forth. But none of that happened. That's going to happen. That's the, the problem is that they couldn't see the timing of God uh, was, was separated. But they, people thought that that was going to happen. And so when Jesus died on the cross, for many people, including his disciples, it was like, a, like what happened? It was like a big uh, disappointment. It was a sense of like, oh, wait, wait a minute. We thought this guy was going to be the one. And only when he rose from the dead did, did they start to put the pieces together that you know something more, the scope of what happened was different from what they thought would happen. Yeah, so his kingship wasn't about an earthly kingdom like David, but his kingship was about an eternal kingdom. It was about, and, and Jesus talks about that a lot in the Gospels. He uses that language of the kingdom language. And and again, from a from a Jewish person's perspective, they're probably thinking kingdom like David's kingdom. But but now, as we read the whole Bible together, including the rest of the New Testament that we're going to be talking about today, we realize that it was talking about a kingdom that's not of this world. It and salvation was not about just saving a people temporally from the bad guys, the Romans at this point. But it was really more, it was bigger than that. It was more eternal than that. It wasn't just temporal. And so these, again, these are things that even the disciples are learning over time as, as they're hearing Jesus's teachings and seeing his miracles and then see him, you know, apparently dying at the hands of the Romans, but then three days later being, being raised again. So a lot of these, the rest of the New Testament books are explaining that and helping us understand those things theologically. And we'll get into that. But Ross, I guess a question for now, before we move on from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four gospels, why would we need four? Why do we need four? Why do we have four gospels in the Bible, in the New Testament, especially if the first three are so similar? Right. And the, it's because what you have is they're writing, each one is writing to a different audience. And so with it, uh, they have a different perspective. Now, they are, they're all telling the truth. And many of them tell about the same incident, since you can see something in that Mark is reporting that also Matthew's reporting, or, or even sometimes John is reporting the same incident, but from their different perspective, because they have a, a different purpose and a different audience. So Matthew's writing to primarily a Jewish audience, and so he's connecting all the dots with the Old Testament uh, prophecies of the Messiah and the, the things that are that are happening in the past. Um, he also is the most dominant teacher. Uh, he records more of more of Jesus' teachings than other of other guys do. 
where Mark, Mark is writing, people think he's writing to maybe the Ro- a Roman audience or Gentile audience. So he doesn't go into depth on all the different um, fulfillment of prophecies and so forth. He instead tries to show us the identity of Jesus from a more generic point of view. Luke is writing um, most the most broadly at all of all. Luke is not uh, um, Jewish. Luke is a Greek, and so he's writing with from the perspective of of all these different ethnic groups that are encompassed in the Great Commission. Um, and so John again has a different purpose, and so they're recording different aspects of what Jesus did. And John says, in fact, at the end, if everybody, if we wrote down everything that Jesus did and said, it, it would take way more than four books to record it all. So I think it's helpful to read those Gospels with an understanding that each one of them is drawing out something specific and something unique and is writing to a different audience. Okay, one more question before we move on. Were, who were these guys? Just real quick. Who were these guys, the 12 disciples or among the 12 disciples? What, like why, you know, we talked to, uh, I think maybe in week two of the series that that there had to be apostolic authorship. So were these guys all apostles, I guess, is a question someone who's new to this might be asking. Right. That's a great question. Really important question. They were not all apostles. They were not all with Jesus, even eyewitnesses. Matthew and John were among the close followers of Jesus. And so they're eyewitnesses. They were there the whole time. Mark represents the perspective of Peter. Uh, scholars think that Mark is writing what Peter told him and what Peter recounted about the life of Jesus. So Mark reflects an apostolic perspective. He's closely related to Peter. Luke, we know, is closely related to the apostle Paul. He traveled with Paul. Now, Paul was not one of the original disciples, but he did have an apostolic role as he meeting Jesus. And so Luke represents this perspective uh, what Paul's perspective would be, uh, it's not, a, he's, not a, he's not an eyewitness of these events, and neither was Paul. Paul was there part of the time as an outsider. But Luke actually did historic research. He interviewed people. He talked to all the people who knew Jesus personally. And so his is not written from an eyewitness perspective, but from the accounts and reports of people who are eyewitnesses. Okay, one last question. Did any of these guys write any other books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John? Yeah, that's a great question, too. We'll come to that as we go. Um, John wrote of some other books. He wrote three letters, John, first John, second John, third John. And uh, it's believed that he wrote the book of Revelation. And Luke also wrote the book of Acts. So Luke's gospel, the Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts, they're like two volumes. They're se- a sequel. He started in Luke and he continued in the book of Acts. They kind of go together. Okay, so let's we'll talk about Acts in just a second here. I think it makes the most sense now to move on. And t- since we're talking about Jesus' death and resurrection, we talked about Luke uh, being a companion of, of Paul. So Paul wrote the by far the m- most books of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul. And so let's kind of cover some of his writings and what, like what, maybe just really quick, Paul's personal story. Who is Paul? He wasn't one of the 12 disciples originally. So who is he? How did he come to faith? And why did he write so many books of the New Testament? And what was his focus in writing those books? Great question. So Paul, Paul actually, he grew up as a uh, a, a Jewish Pharisee, sort of within that group of of Jewish uh, in Jewish world that was the most conservative, sort of the the, the highest uh, levels of commitment, and they were dedicated to. They really wanted to keep the the law of the Old Testament. Paul grew up in that milieu, and he was a scholar, um, and so he actually was working against Christianity originally, and so he thought Christianity was a threat. And um, and so he was involved in persecuting Christians and trying to bring them to trial and so forth, uh, until at one point in time, God had a plan for Paul, and he had an encounter with Jesus on the highway to one of the places where he was going, where he met Jesus, and Jesus and Jesus confronted him about his life, and he said, "Look, I want you to follow me." And so, long story short, he began to do that. 
And uh, God began to reveal to Paul that he had a calling to go to um, tell people about Jesus, in particular to tell people, interestingly enough, because of his Jewish background, he was called by, by God to go talk to people who were not Jewish, to talk to the Gentiles about, about who Jesus was and what God's plan was for them. So he traveled several journeys, and as he traveled, he started churches. He, sh- he shared the uh, good news of Jesus and started churches. And so that then gave way to his writing because he wrote letters to the churches. Actually, the, the Paul's letters, called, they're called the Pauline epistles. An epistle is just a fancy word for a letter. So there's two kinds. There's the kinds he wrote to churches, and there's the kinds that he wrote to individuals. So people that he worked with in his ministry, he gave them instruction as he got older along the way. So he's writing to churches, and he's writing to individuals. And, and when he writes to churches, he wants them to really understand the gospel, to really understand who Jesus is and what God has done. And he's, he's trying to head off errors of different kinds where people would misunderstand the work of Jesus and follow Jesus in a different way. So he's trying to head off errors by getting down to the core ideas. And then he wants the second part of his books usually is he wants people to live according to the truth. He says, this is what God has done. This is then how you should live. Yeah, so this is, you know, I think his most fame, arguably, arguably the most influential letter that he wrote that we have in the New Testament is Romans. Romans was the, his largest, his biggest theological treatise, basically. And it, it's kind of, you know, he wrote Galatians first. So when we say Romans, that's the letter to the churches in Rome. When we say Galatians, that those were the that was the letter to the churches in the region of Galatia. Now, Galatians was the first one chronologically, probably wrote Galatians even before he wrote Romans. But it's interesting, Ross, as our readers read those books, I would encourage you to pay attention to the themes that keep coming up over and over and over again. And you're right, Ross, he's talking about salvation, uh, salvation by faith. You know, it's really a good way to think about it is in our in our foundation or in our pursuit series, we talk about going full circle, that we trust Jesus for salvation. And that's a theme that you see over and over in Paul's books, Galatians and Romans in particular. You really notice that he's talking at first about how we're saved, and it's by trusting Jesus for salvation, which is right coming right out of the Gospels. And then he, he always goes to then what it means for your life, how you should live your life. That's the second arrow in our f- full circle picture of a Christian. And he's talking about like, you know, fruits of the spirit in Galatians. He's talking about, you know, so how should we live then in Romans? And and so again, it's not just theology of salvation. It's also, he talks about, he talks about practical, the practical implications of being changed and being saved. And then in most of his letters, Ross, he goes on and he talks about, therefore, then you should go make disciples. And, and again, that's why in our pursuit series, which is all about what the basics are of being a Christian, the reason that we've summarized it in those three things, trust Jesus, honor God, and make disciples, is because that's what Paul teaches over and over and over again, because that's what Jesus taught in the four Gospels. And so as our listeners are reading books like Galatians and Romans and Ephesians and First and Second Corinthians, pay attention to those themes because they're going to come up over and over again. Right. And that's really, so for example, you mentioned the first theme about salvation. Well, we see that in like Romans 5 verse 1, for example, Paul writes, therefore, since we have been made with, right with God, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. So there it is. How do you get right with God? And he says, this is by faith. It's because of what Jesus has done. That's his theme throughout, as you mentioned, Galatians. It shows up in Ephesians and Philippians and a lot of other places. And then, and then so um, Paul writing to the churches, that's why Paul has really been at the heart of Christian theology. A lot of people say they really want to uh, read the Gospels because that's the voice of Jesus. And that's important. But Paul is the interpreter of what Jesus did and the things that he said and taking what Jesus has done and kind of boiling it down to the essence. Paul is the probably the most solid interpreter of that and the expressor of those things. And why and so why again I think this is a little bit of a deeper question. Why like why? Why does Paul why is Paul almost almost half of the New Testament books were written by Paul? 
why was Paul the interpreter? Why does Paul have so much theology? I would say way more theological distinctives. Again, it's not like necessarily super deep stuff. It's simple. But why is Paul so clear about connecting the dots from the Old Testament and helping us understand theology? Why not, you know, I don't know, Peter or one of the other disciples? Right. And the other, the other disciples, surely, who wrote Scripture have, have a lot to say. And God, those are really mm-hmm. important. But the thing I think, I think one thing about Paul is that Paul was traveling in the, throughout the whole ancient world. And so he was outside of the Jewish context. He was interacting with the Gentile world. He was interacting with the ideas that were floating around in the Roman Empire. And so it became really important for him to clarify how is the message of, of Christianity unique and different? How does it stack up against? And so, you know, he's interacting. You see in the book of Acts, he's interacting with um, people in the city of Athens who had this highly developed philosophy that involved all these pagan deities and so forth. And so it becomes really important for Paul to say, wait a second, how does Christianity differentiate from that? And he, and he points to the resurrection of Jesus, for example, in that, in that context. So I think Paul's travels, first of all, his education in Judaism, but also you know, how important that was for him to differentiate that, but also his travels in the ancient world really put him in a situation where uh, he needed to spell things out as clearly and simply as possible. Yeah, we have to remember Paul was, I mean, Paul talks about this himself, that he, you know, he he was not one of the original 12 disciples. Those guys were fishermen, tax collectors. Those guys were average, really uneducated guys. It says it in Acts 4.13. They were uneducated, ordinary men, whereas Paul was formally educated. He was a Pharisee. He really understood the Old Testament, I would say, at a different level than the disciples did. You know, I guess even just on a surface level, he understood it differently. But really what happened is most of those educated guys, their education kept them from knowing Jesus. But Paul was one of the guys where once Jesus really revealed himself to Paul, he basically said, you can read about this in Acts Acts 9 and 10, he basically said, you're going to be the guy I'm going to send to the Gentiles. You're going to be the guy, like Paul didn't even have a choice almost. Jesus revealed himself so clearly to Paul, and Paul had to repent. It, it's probably almost like humbling and humiliating for Paul to have to join this ragtag bunch of, of no names and uneducated guys. And that's what I love about the story is that God uses, he uses Paul's gifting, Paul's intelligence, Paul's travels, Paul's education. And, and this is how what God still does today. He uses that for the glory and for his own purposes. And so I think we can celebrate that God would recruit somebody like Paul, a Pharisee like Paul, and that I, I celebrate the fact that that Paul's brilliance is on display. And we talked about this, right? That that the Holy Spirit used the the Holy Spirit inspired all the writings, Paul's, Peter's, John's, everybody's. But but he used their, how did we say it, Ross? He used their giftings. He used their, he didn't just like overtake them. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Their cultural background, their experiences yeah. of life and all the rest. Yeah. And I also, one more thing about Paul, by the way, Paul talks about this himself, that that he really, before he even joined the disciples after his conversion experience, like he went out to the desert and Jesus taught him, like Jesus specifically mm-hmm. taught him. And I love it because it's not, Jesus didn't teach him anything different than what Jesus had taught his disciples right. while he was on earth. Yeah. And so yeah. there's a real harmony between what Paul is saying and what all of the disciples are saying. I think that's a, just, again, more affirmation that God's word can be trusted. Yeah, that's a great point. All right, let's move on, Ross, to, okay, we've talked a little about Romans, Galatians, um, what about like Ephesians, the church, the book that Paul wrote, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus? Yeah, Ephesians is sort of another su- kind of summary, uh, more practical though. Um, it, it starts with the, God's purpose, God's grace. It starts with, again, the first chapters are about how God saved, rec- reconciled uh, himself to people of all different ethnic groups together. And then the second half says, okay then since you've received this salvation, here's how you ought to live. 
So uh, Ephesians is another great, it's uh, short and it's rich. And so if Ephesians is a book that a lot of Christians love to read. Okay, 1 Corinthians is the first letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. What What's that one about? Well, it's mostly about problems. The church in Corinth had a lot of problems. They were behaving badly, so to speak. So he's reprimanding them. He's trying to set them straight. He's saying, why, why are you guys doing this? You know, here's how you should do it. Um, so, but after those, he's answering questions that they sent to him. And he's also including, you know, some correction that he had heard from about. And after he deals with those practical things, then it's a really strong section in the, in the end of Corinthians in chapter 15 about the resurrection of Jesus and what that means for believers. That's a, a strong note that Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians finishes on. Now, we talked earlier in our series about the uniqueness of the book of Hebrews, that Hebrews was a book that maybe originally people thought Paul wrote, but I think now most people realize it probably wasn't Paul. It's just so stylistically different than his other letters. Maybe it was someone like Apollos. Let's let's cover Hebrews real quick because Hebrews really is a is about like this whole this whole gospel theme of Jesus dying and rising again to save the people from their sins. So how does Hebrews figure into that? Yeah, the the word the the title of the book is suggestive because it was written to the Jewish population, and these are these are Jewish people who were kind of had to kind of miss the connection somehow. They we talked about the Jesus as the fulfillment of the whole Old Testament story. And, and that's one of the things that the book of Hebrews is trying to draw out and show how it happens, because it was written to people, to Christians of Jewish background who are preparing to like think maybe, oh, maybe being Jewish was enough. Maybe we don't need Jesus. And so he's making really clear the connections between what Jesus did and how that fulfilled the Old Testament covenants, the Old Testament rituals, and how Jesus really is the substance of all of that. And, and so the book of Hebrews is all about Jesus, but what Jesus has done in the context of Judaism and the promises and the and the rituals of Judaism. Okay, so so far we've been talking about the the theme from the Gospels of salvation and Jesus dying and rising again. Let's go back for a second, Ross. Let's cover another theme that's really important in the Gospels, and we see it in Matthew 28, and it's the theme of making disciples, not just the theme of how a person gets saved, but it's like Jesus being on mission. He was on mission, and he wanted his followers to be on mission. He says at the end of Matthew, Matthew 28, he he told, tells his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. So this is, we call this the Great Commission. And it th- this one to me, this one really points to the, the fifth book in the gospel or in the in the New Testament, the book that immediately follows the gospels. It's the book of Acts. It's kind of a, another special book. It's the only history book in the New Testament. So how how is what is the book of Acts about and how is it connected to Jesus's final words in Matthew 28? Yeah, so we mentioned earlier that Acts is written by Luke as kind of a sequel to the gospel. And so in the book of Acts he says this is a record of the things that Jesus continued to do. In in a gospel he told us all the things that Jesus already did. But now Jesus has risen from the dead and um and in the beginning of Luke it shows him ascending into heaven and 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 so Luke says, so Jesus is still active. He's still working the world. Here's the things he continues to do. And so he shows us how God sends the Holy Spirit and he continues to work. Jesus continues to work in his church through the Holy Spirit. And it describes how the church just grew numerically and how it began to expand all over the, the Roman world, all over the ancient world. So in Acts chapter 1-8, it talks, Jesus says, I'm sending you as my witnesses to Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And that's the pattern that the book of Acts follow, follows. It starts with Judea, I mean with uh, Jerusalem, and then it shows how the church is expanding in Judea and Samaria, and then it shows how the church is sent forth and the believers are sent forth all until really the ends of the earth, as it was known in that at that time. So it follows that expansion. And so the book of Acts gives us all kinds of great stories about how God's at work, about how people are doing it, about how the Holy Spirit does it and how people are sharing about Jesus and what they say and what they do along the way. 
and how uh, people are responding to that message and becoming enfolded into the group, the band of disciples. Okay, and so that, like you mentioned, it's 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 like it's almost like a key to understanding the rest of the New Testament because you're gonna the first eight chapters is Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but then in chapter nine something changes because. That's where we see Paul coming to faith. His name was Saul at first, but then he gets a new name, Paul, coming to faith in Jesus, being basically being commissioned. And we see that Peter gets this revelation in Acts chapter 10 that, that the message isn't just for Jews, but it's for Gentiles as well. So something really fundamentally changes in about Acts chapter 10, that the message of Jesus was previous to that was mainly a Jewish thing. I, w- I guess you would say Jewish and Sam- Samaritan thing. But now it's going to go out to the whole world. And again, this is something that I don't, I, when you go back and read the Old Testament, you see it all over the place in the Old Testament. But I don't think the disciples were thinking this. I think this was really a surprise to everybody that this message of the kingdom and this offer of salvation was going to go to the whole world. It was going to be a blessing on all nations, as it says in, in Genesis 12, right? Remember, God said to Abraham, through your seed, all nations will be blessed. So, okay, now we're starting to see that happen in the book of Acts because the seed is Jesus and the blessing is the Holy Spirit who would be giving given to everyone, Jews and Gentiles, anyone who would accept it. So now we see Paul go on these missionary journeys and there's three different missionary journeys that you can read about in the rest of the, of, of Acts. And, and, and Ross, right, that's where we start reading about uh, regions like Ephesus and Galatia and Corinth and Philippi. So help us like bring in some more of those letters now. How do those letters, the Pauline epistles in the New Testament, how do those sort of fit into the narrative in in Acts? Right. So we already mentioned some of the letters that he wrote because we were talking about another another theme. So in in Paul's journeys, whenever he went to one of these cities, then again, like I said before, he established the church and believers and then he had some people working with him. He always traveled with others who were who were also on the journey with him. People like um, Silas and and later Timothy and Titus. We'll talk about them. And so he's trying to establish the church. But his way, because you know, it took a long time to travel around in those days. His way of trying to um, lead those churches and to shepherd those churches was through writing letters to them. So each letter in the New Testament is to one of the churches. We mentioned 1 Corinthians. Well, he wrote a second letter to Corinthians. And um, in it, he follows up with some of the things he, he wrote about in the first letter. And he's uh, and so he says, here's the things you need to follow up on now, the things that we've talked about before. You're doing great. Now, here's, here's some things to follow through on. And he's he recounts all of the troubles that he faced. He's trying to defend his authority as an apostle because other people were coming along to threaten that. So from some of these writings, we kind of get a a glimpse of what's going on even internally with Paul at different times, his, his state of thinking and his state of being. So in, when he wrote 2 Corinthians, he was he was troubled and he was attacked. He wrote Philippians, uh, Corinth and Philippi, these are cities in Greece. And so uh, he wrote Philippians. They had sent him a gift to support him, the church from the believers there. And so he wanted to thank them and encourage them to uh, rejoice and to live as citizens of heaven. And so Colossae was a city in Asia Minor, not far from Ephesians, uh, from Ephesus. So he wrote the book to Colossians because uh, he wanted to elevate Jesus and to answer questions about Jesus that people were raising and, and threats to the identity of Jesus. He wants them to know that Jesus is central and everything uh, about our faith is revolves around him. And so those are, uh, I think that those are probably the, letters, the ones we've mentioned and the ones we mentioned here, I think we've covered all the letters that Paul wrote to um, churches. And where's he, is he writing these letters before he visits these churches, after he visits these churches, some kind of a combination? Like, again, as people are reading this, and again, you can pick up on the clues in the letter itself, right? But would it, is it safe to say that all of these letters are are letters that he's writing after he's been in those regions and doing ministry with them for some period of time. Yeah, generally speaking, that's the case. Uh, I think the exception might be the le- the book of Romans, the letter to the Romans. 
Mm-hmm. He, he knew a lot of people. Rome was, of course, Rome was the capital of the world. You know, there was a lot of people who knew people in Rome or people who had been to Rome. And, and so Rome was the, the hub of the cultural life of the whole Mediterranean world. And so he knew people there. There are people that he associated with. So he, he, I think he's planning to go to, the, to Rome. He's thinking he's going to go to Rome. And so he should introduce himself and, and kind of create a new relationship there with the letter. But other other than that, all the letters were written after the fact as he's looking in on them and he's hearing what their troubles are, hearing what kind of things they're facing and the, and the kind of advice and counsel that they would need. Did he ever make it to Rome, Ross? Yeah, he did. <laughs> At the end of the book of Acts, he did not go to Rome, maybe voluntarily. He was, arrest, <laughs> he was arrested That's um, right. in, in Jerusalem for causing trouble. Uh, the Jews felt like he was causing trouble, and he was trouble for Christ. And so they appealed to Rome, and and uh, and rather than facing trial in a situation that would maybe not be favorable to him, Paul, as a citizen of the Roman Empire, he um, invoked his privilege to have his case heard in Rome. And so to stay, kind of to stay out of local trouble, he said, "I, I wanna, I wanna stand before Caesar." And so, therefore, he was, you know, sent as a really as a, a prisoner in a sense, or on trial. He was sent to Rome and spent a couple of years there. Yeah, and he wrote Philippians as an as an example. He wrote Philippians from prison in Rome. And it, what's interesting is he's talking about standing firm in the face of persecution. And it's really helpful to know like where he is when he's writing that because I think it really adds to the context of that to know that he was facing persecution. So he's not just talking about this theoretically. He's living this out in real time and then encouraging the churches as he writes back to them. Okay, so those are all the general epistles, but then there are four more letters that are personal letters that Paul wrote. And those are called his pastoral letters because those are letters that he wrote back to people that he was raising up, but they were leaders in the church. So talk about those four and who were those guys. Right, so... Uh, Paul wrote two letters to Timothy, one letter to Titus, and one letter to a guy named Philemon. Now, Timothy and uh, Timothy and Titus are people he worked with. He were his he proteges in ministry. They were co-workers. He mentored them. He calls Timothy a son in the faith. So, First Timothy, he's sending Timothy. He's left Timothy in Ephesus as a kind of a pastoral leader and kind of leading, but he's a young guy, so he needs some help and. So he gives Timothy instructions on how to lead the church. Sound teaching, godly example. Second Timothy is written later. Paul is, is near the end, and he can see that, oh, maybe, maybe his, his own journeys are over. And so he's giving guidance as well, but uh, with the, from the perspective of, you know, I might, not, I might not be around much longer. So Timothy, deal with, uh, here's some things you have to deal with. Here's how to succeed. Take a look at your own life and character as well as your practices. And so he's helping Timothy to, to be ready for what's next. Now, Paul, uh, Titus, Titus went with Paul um, to the island of Crete, and they had, the Greek island of Crete in the Mediterranean world. They established some new believers there. And so he, he left Titus there to help the new Christians, to help them get going, to help establish the, the churches there. And so he's sending them advice on how to organize that, how to help the believers, you know, get it right um, and how to, you know, do some things that he needs to do to get things going there. So Titus is also a co-worker. Now, Philemon is interesting because Philemon was a friend of Paul or an acquaintance of Paul um, from, I think he's from the city of Colossae near, in ancient uh, Turkey. And so Paul gets to Rome and, and so when Paul's in Rome, he meets a slave that Titus had, uh, that Philemon had, a slave named Onesimus, who's run away. And so, slavery in the ancient world is different from like American kind of slavery, but it was still, you know, a situation that you know maybe people didn't want to be in. So, so Onesimus runs away. He runs into Paul in Rome, and and Paul actually leads him to faith in Christ. And so Paul wrote back to his own his boss, his to Philemon, his master, and he intercedes with Ones, for for uh, for Onesimus with his master. So it's kind of a really personal letter. It's really more about like relationships and how those are navigated in the scope of the kingdom of God. 
Yeah, let me interject because some of our listeners might be like like blown away right now. Like this is even longtime Christian listeners saying, I didn't know all this. I've never connected all these dots before. Where are you learning all this? Are you just making this up? You do you get all of this from the text? You get a lot of it from the text, but but this is again where it's helpful to have some good solid Bible commentaries or a or a study Bible, read the introduction to the books, because this is the kind of information that you'll get in the introduction to the books. Okay. So let's let's move on from Paul. This is good. I mean, we talk about Paul all day long, but there's the next the next book in the New Testament that we come to after Paul's letters is the book of James. And and this is the first of what what are called the general epistles. Who was James? And how does he fit into the book of Acts and the whole story of the gospel spread? Right. James, James was a brother of Jesus. Technically the half-brother of Jesus, I guess. They had the same mom, but different dad. Uh, Jesus' dad was God the Father. Um, so James is, um, so this is written somewhat later. James comes to faith. He's a leader in the church. So, but, but he's re- reflecting a Jewish background again, and he's telling Christians, you know, kind of this Jewish audience in, in Palestine or whatever, um, kind of just telling them just how to make sure they live the, uh, a full life in, in Christ, um, how, that they're going to really, what, what genuine faith looks like. But it means to face suffering. Um, some things about how to how do you face the future when you're not sure what it's all about? How do I stop uh, practicing favoritism? So James is really practical. It kind of reads like a New Testament version of the Book of Proverbs in some ways. And so uh, it's it's written to just gen- generic Christians, and broadly speaking, it doesn't have like a city that he's writing to or a particular uh, group of people in a certain place. So the next guy we come to in the general epistles is Peter, right? So like you said, Peter influenced Mark's writing. Mark's writing most likely from the perspective, his gospel from the perspective of Peter. But Peter also has two letters in the in the New Testament that go by his name. So what are those about? Yeah, First Peter and Second Peter. In First Peter, he's trying to encourage believers who are persecuted, who are suffering. There's forces outside the church from the culture, from the government, and so forth that are that are creating difficulties for Christians. And he's instructing them, hey, you know, there's some gods at work here. God's doing some things here. So you're going to look to Jesus for your hope, and you're going to remain faithful and live a God-honoring life. But in all of it, God's at work. Um, he's going to get you through this thing. And then in Second Peter, it's a short little book. But Peter's warning Christians about troubles that will arise from within the church, not external suffering or persecution, but the threat of false teachers. Kind of what that becomes a big theme in the New Testament because there's a lot of ideas out there and people wanted to gain power or whatever, gain influence. So he's warning them against the threat of false teachers and he's warning them in particular uh, to hang in there until Jesus wraps it all up. Okay, so after First and Second Peter, then we have First, Second, Third John, and you kind of already mentioned this is the same John that that wrote the Gospel of John, the fourth book of the New Testament. But now we have First John, Second John, Third John. How are those different? How are they similar? Yeah, so again, letters that are written um, to generically the Christians. First John is the longest, and it addresses an idea of like what what is what is Jesus really like? What did he really do? The idea that uh, God would never become flesh because flesh was bad. That was a an influence of the ancient system called Gnosticism. And so John is writing and try to, to try to uh, put that aside. Jesus did become flesh. And it was really important to us. But John is really offering a, assurance of salvation. He says, wait, how do you know you're a Christian? And he says, okay, here's how you know you're a Christian because you love your brothers. Or here's how you know you're a Christian because you're doing what God says to do. Oh, here's how you know you're a Christian. Because because Jesus died for you, and He said He did, because God loves you, and so He He roots our assurance of salvation in Jesus' work, and um, and He warns how easy it is to stray from the truth. He says there's there's false teachers again that'll come up and lead you astray, but but He wants to really encourage the believers uh, to stay rooted in God's love. And then second and third John are just short little letters that deal with very specific people and issues that John was uh, aware of, and he wants to give a little a word there. So, you know, most people have no idea what 2nd and 3rd John are about because they're so specific. 
and particular situations that don't maybe seem to have as much application to us today as First John does. Now, there's one more general epistle in the Bible before we get to Revelation, and it's the it's the book of Jude. And I, I just need to say, my this one is the one that bugs my OCD-ness a little bit, that Jude is right after Third John. The reason I don't like that, Ross, just so you know, is because the, the last book of the Bible is Revelation. We'll talk about that in a second. But I, I hate it that Jude is in between, you know, first, John wrote first, second, third John and Revelation, and then we have Jude in between them. If I was, if I was structuring the table of contents, and this isn't like, it's not like this was, there's a, anything biblical about how the table of contents is structured, I, I would say, but I would have probably put Jude up there by James instead of like inner, you know, interspersing it between John's writings. Anyway, that's just me. But what's Jude about and who's Jude? Jude, again, uh, is a brother of Jesus. And so, you know, the family of Jesus is, is involved in his work. As an apostle, he writes to encourage believers to stand up. He's writing again against false teaching. He's writing against, against threats to the core ideas of the gospel. And he wants uh, things that are going to undermine the, because he had people who were saying, look, if it's all by grace, then it doesn't matter how you live. Kind of heard that to these days, you know. Mm. Uh, and so Jude is saying, hey, no, be, be aware of these things. There's challenges out there. Take them seriously and it's stand up for your faith. So you're with me then. It should be by James because James was a brother of Jesus. Jude was a brother of Jesus. It just makes sense. You throw Jude up there with James. It just, anyway, that's just me. Okay. Those are the general epistles. And, you know, I, I think there's one more thing as we're wrapping up this kind of overview of the New Testament. If, if we go back to, if we go back to the Gospels, one of the we've talked about the theme of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. We've talked about the theme of being on mission with Jesus and going out and, and sharing the gospel with all the world. But there's another theme that Jesus hits on in the Gospels that kind of wraps up our study of the New Testament, because we've left out a couple of books here. And the theme is about the end of the world, the end of history, and, and how history is going to wrap up. And there's three more books that we haven't covered. Two of them are Pauline epistles, First and Second Thessalonians. And then the last one is, of course, the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. Right. And so we're talking about the future, about how, you know, God writes the end of history. God wins in the end. Jesus prevails in the end. And uh, you know, that theme is throughout a lot of the books of the New Testament. But there's a couple of the ones Paul wrote that where it comes out strongly, the First Thessalonians and Second Thessalonians where he expands on the future coming of Jesus and exhorts believers to stand firm in their faith till Jesus comes back, talks about some of the events, some of the things that happen uh, around the time Jesus uh, returns. But then the future uh, is most vividly expressed in the book of Revelation. You mentioned that already, but the, the book is really the Apostle John who has written visions that he's seen about what's going to happen in the future surrounding the return of Jesus. And so it's it's the main thing in the New Testament that Christians are drawn to when they think about the future. Yeah, let me read one of those verses, Revelation 21, verses 3 and 4. This is the second to last book of the Bible, or chapter in the Bible. It says, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. So it's, inter it's interesting, Ross, when you think about the Bible as a whole, we've got the first two books of the Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, is before the fall. And so it's really this picture of Eden, the Garden of Eden, and there's the beauty and the perfection, and there's no sin, there's no crying or pain or death or anything. And now the last two books of the of chapters of the Bible, Revelation 21 and 22, are kind of returning to this place. So there's kind of symmetry here as we look at this as a whole. There's this symmetry that we see how everything started, and then we see all this sin and death and sadness and destruction and, and brokenness for so many chapters of the Bible. But then we see Jesus entering and Jesus providing the solution. But yet, yet while people were on earth, they were still sinful, right? Paul, John, Peter, everybody, they were still sinners. They weren't perfect yet. But we kind of return to this, this picture, this beautiful picture of, of almost like this Garden of Eden thing. But even, even better than that, really, 
because now all of this stuff is fulfilled. There's going to be a new heavens and a new earth, and it really comes full circle. Yeah, really, it's a fitting way to end the story. The story of the Old Testament, the story of the New Testament ends with this full idea. God is going to redeem his people. He's going to deal with sin. And this is what it looks like when it's all said and done. Now, we can forgive my sins, and he does in this present life, but I'm still under you know, the pressure of the curse of sin that sits on the world. And, um, and, but this, and someday the promise is the end of the story, all that curse will be removed and the world will be made new and it'll be perfect, a perfect paradise for us. Like it was before sin entered in the garden of Eden. So that's very, very hopeful. It's a great assurance of what um, God is going to do in the world. All right. Well, so I can't believe we did it. We covered a lot of ground in under an hour. Good job, Ross. This was so helpful. I'm sure our listeners are going to have to go back and listen to this one a couple of times as you're trying to sort of make sense of it. But it really does help to have an over an overall understanding of the New Testament and even the Bible as you read scripture. I, I know for me, Ross, it's super. Sometimes when I read a book, um, like, especially if it's a difficult book to understand, I'm reading a, like an old classic right now. I, I cheat a little bit and I go back and I do a little bit of study on the author and the time period in which he wrote the book and, and the theme and the characters so that when I read the book, I've already kind of got some context and I get so much more out of it in my first reading. But really the honest truth is if I really want to understand that book, I probably need to read it a second time because it'll really mm -hmm. help me to really connect the dots. So what would you, I, I don't know, as we finish up this topic, what would you say, you know, pastorally to people who are now going to go back to the Bible and, uh, and read it with, with a new understanding? Right. Well, number one is just go read it. You know, that's, that's number one. Uh, and then now that you've got some idea of what to read and what to look for, you'll, you'll read more intelligently. Uh, a lot of times I'd say start with the Gospels because that's where Jesus begins and the whole story is about him. Um, but then you might want to go to the Pauline epistles or sample them at least rather than reading all through, all, all of them straight through. But um, yeah, just read it, read it, find some, some ways to help. There's some good resources around that we have that can help you. But more than anything else, just read it. That would be the great place to start. Yeah. So if you want to Go through this Bible Basics series with your family, your small group, or your mentor. You can find it along with these podcasts and discussion questions so that you can talk about all this. Our show notes, it's all there online at PursueGod.org. Check it out, Bible Basics. And we encourage you to keep reading God's Word because it will change your life.